All right, welcome to the Training Babble Podcast. My name is Dave Shell, and today I'm joined by Andrew Simmons. Hello. And Kevin Goldberg. Hello. So thank you both for joining me today. Um, what we're going to talk about today is the insanity of doing ultramarathon, and for you in particular, doing multiple hundred miles um, in a very short time span. Yeah. <laughs> Insanity is a good word. Yeah. yeah. So before we get to that, uh, why don't we start off a little bit? Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Simmons, a head coach at Lifelong Endurance. I also have a youth training program in Golden, Colorado, which is peak performance running. Um, USA Track, let's see, USA Track and Field Level 2 coach, Training Peaks Level 2 coach. And um, yeah, I think I've been at this, uh, we've had Lifelong Endurance now since 2014, so going on almost six years. Uh, with the biz so it's been fun cool and kevin yeah um, um yeah so tell us i guess kind of what got you into running and what you're doing next week sure so um i started running um in college when when you know organized like ball sports were less attainable um met my uh now wife later in college and she was training for the chicago marathon I found myself doing the training with her, so just did the race, and from there I was just totally hooked. Um, didn't enjoy what it took to get faster, so just decided to keep going further and further. Um, and now I find myself in the middle of running three 200-mile races in a two-month time span. <laughs> uh, right in the middle of it. So next, <laughs> next week is the depth. Of yeah, it, next week is the second of three. Um, this week actually, it's it, start, it starts fr- it starts Friday morning. So yeah, we should start packing. Uh, I did start packing today. I have not yet. <laughs> and, and so, how long in general? So you just finished one in August. Mm-hmm. The uh, Bigfoot Two Hundred. Yep. Is your second time doing that? Yes. How long does it take you to finish two hundred miles? Me personally, right around the eighty hour mark so far. Um, ah. in twenty eighteen, last year I did it in seventy eight hours. Um. Uh, perfect weather, fully supported. Um, this year we had a ton of rain, um, and I was did it solo, and it took me a little over eighty hours. Yeah, I, um, I think you should take a quick note there. Solo, no crew, just drop bags. It's insane to think of doing two hundred miles like with no crew and no one else out there. Like there was nobody. I mean, he just went aid station to aid station, and they're, how far apart are these aid stations? Oh, anywhere from ten to twenty miles. Later in the race. More, more more 20 than not and uh with that amount of elevation gain and terrain and your fatigue i mean that could be i think nine hours was the longest stretch for me between aid stations nine hours and i'm at the front end of the race i mean i'm not nowhere near winning these but i'm at the front end and you know so that's more for other people right that's uh i mean and so last year you did it you had a full crew mm-hmm. andrew was there to support you yeah. um help to pace you make sure you had everything you're taking care of wake you up when you fell asleep for 10 minutes on the trail. So how different was it? How much more challenging was it for you this year not to have that support with you? It was significant. I, um, I knew it would be a lot harder, and even that, I, I had underestimated it. Um, there's just so much little pieces of self-care that you take for granted that your crew just does for you, kind of like a pit crew in NASCAR automatically as you go, come into that aid station. And when you're solo, it's, I mean, you're, you're doing everything yourself. Um, changing your socks, taking care of your feet, rubbing out sore muscles, getting your food that you need to eat now, organizing your food for the next leg, refilling all your water bladders, filtering your own water, <laughs> changing your own clothes. 
it's uh, it's a lot. So it was significant. It was far harder than I had anticipated. I mean, I, I look at it and I think that having been on that crew, like, I think about races I've done and not having, like, people, like, oh, I'll get to see these people in Absolutely. a few miles. Yeah. Like, that. that's what I think. And it's not to say that he didn't have some support. I mean, you were texting me on your inReach <laughs> at least once a day, so I knew that yeah. you're still alive. I mean, yeah. I'm just watching a dot for four days kind of travel around this screen. Right. Yeah. And so... You did the Chicago Marathon. That was kind of your, your dipping your toe into yeah. distance running yep. or longer distance running. Uh-huh. How many had you done a few other marathons before you moved on? Or at what point did you decide you wanted to give longer races a try? And what was, what was your first foray into that? Sure. So, um, yeah, I did a few marathons. I uh, ran New York a few times. Um, I think I probably did around f- five or so, maybe maybe half a dozen marathons before starting an ultra um i found out that ultras existed because i was hiking one day and stumbled upon a race happening there were these weird looking people with no shirt and water bottles coming down off the mountain and you're like i want to be one of those guys yep (laughs) yeah Um, that was it yeah so i haven't gotten the you know no shirt water bottle thing down yet but i'm working on it um and yeah so I, i googled it and figured out what it was and then i signed up for a north face endurance challenge uh dc 50 miler back in 2014 ish give or take a year um i did another 50 miler went to my first 100 which was way too soon to jump to that distance um and then i went up to 200 milers which uh it's actually a little less taxing on your body um in the long run because you're just out there longer it's lower intensity and, and slower but so yeah. how many hundred milers did you do prior to I've only done 100 milers That's still to this day. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, so on paper, it's a little crazy, but I've done a lot of uh, unsupported, uh, big fast packing, big trail stuff like John Muir Trail, Wonderland Trail, some lesser well-known trails too. So I'm no stranger to being out in the mountains, um, you know, pushing hard. But on paper, it does look like I, I had quite the trajectory. So when did you... When did you decide to start working with a coach, and what was it that, when you got to a point, you're like, okay, I need help with this? What was that deciding factor? Yeah, um, so I'd worked with a coach briefly um, before um, these 200s, just when I had first gotten into the ultra world, probably shortly. I started working with a coach right before my first 100, and it wasn't the best experience. Then I took a break for a while, and um, I had come back from uh, hip surgery on both my hips in... Uh, 2017, I was on the way back, and uh, I was working at Training Peaks at the time, kind of managing a, a bunch of co- coaches and, you know, seeing the value firsthand, and um, decided to give it another try, and that's when I linked up with Andrew and Lifelong Endurance, and took me back from surgery, got me back to running ultras, and ultimately doing what I'm doing now, which is pretty wild when you think back on it. Right, and I, so I want to talk a little bit more about that, but before I do... <laughs> just because you brought it up and and I wanted to bring it up at some point is repeat that you've had two hip surgeries. Yep. And that was prior to last year's 200. Yep. And you as his coach, when he brought up the idea of running three 200s over the course of four months, (laughs) what was your reaction to that? I mean, I was really supportive of it. Too supportive. Yeah. I was, I was really (laughs) supportive. I don't know if I was too supportive. <laughs> I mean, like I, I, I sent the email hoping he'd be like, I don't know, man. You know, maybe we should. I look at it this way. I think that ha- Kevin, having come from overcome the hip surgeries already, 
it was kind of like I having experienced it with him and knowing his background, right? Like if you looked at it on ultrasound, I'd be like, this dude's nuts. But I know him. Like I, it's it's kind of like when you know your athlete, you know what they're capable of. But you, I also got to see who he was upstairs between his two ears, and like I also didn't experience cranky Kevin um, <laughs> out there. But knowing, watching him get through Bigfoot. I was like, you know, I think he could do it. But I think that's the beauty of these kind of challenges is that there is no guarantee. There's right. still no guarantee. I mean, there's, I mean, we, we're still on the, on, the, on the precipice of number two. We haven't really moved any further than we did last year so far, right? But I think the, the, the true honesty of it is is that I, I think what it comes down to is Kevin's mental fortitude of this. Right. And I've never seen anybody truly stronger that can be in pain and suffer and then go for another 20 hours. Like, it's not like another, you know, 20 minutes and it's like, dude, you finished your first 5K, congrats, right? Like, it's it's moving through multiple stages of discomfort and, like, it's a roller coaster of highs and lows and it's just, he keeps it really even with Twizzlers and it just, <laughs> it really... <laughs> Twizzlers and Raisinets all day. But it, it's honest. Like, he's truly, like, one of the toughest people mentally I've, I've ever worked with, hands down. So, like, I think about that. I've done a couple Ironman, yeah. and I've coached many people to Ironman, and that's always one of the conversations we have, especially if it's their first one, and it's there's going to be a point at some time, there's going to be a time at some point where you want to quit, where you don't think you can take one more step, and you have to make it through that. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about a 10 to 15-hour race, right? right? And trying to get through it once. So I'd have to imagine when you're doing 200 miles over 80 hours, you have more than one of those. Hundreds of moments where you want to quit. And it's, yeah, that's, it's the hardest part. I mean, and there's ample opportunity to quit. And uh, it's just, you know, it's really hard. And there's, a, you know, it's, I don't know what keeps me going, but I just do. And uh, yeah, I don't know. So going back to you, had you had experience coaching ultra marathoners prior to Kevin? Yeah, actually I had coached, um, I've, I've had a couple other athletes, I mean, do longer than a hundred miles, uh, in one stretch. Um, one of them, one athlete did the Tuscovia 150, which is actually a, an all winter race. Um, so she actually suffered, uh, some pretty gnarly frostbite from that, but Go figure. You know, the, yeah, it's, <laughs> But, you know, multiple athletes have done, you know, 100-mile races, and I've worked with other athletes for, um, you know, stage races and other things like that. So totaling more than, than 100 miles, and I think um, I think what it really came down to when Kevin's like, I want to do 200 miles, I mean, I, I distinctly remember telling him, like, this is unknown territory. Like, I don't, I don't even know who to consult to be like, what did you do to train your athlete? Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't anybody to talk to at that time about how do you train for something like this? And I, I'd say that, and I'm you know, speaking from my standpoint here, like our tr- the training was a group effort. Like it was, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of communication around, well, this is what it should look like from a, a buildup standpoint, but where did it happen? And, you know, what did a big day look like? You know, Kevin really helped me better understand and kind of put some arms around what that looked like. So when you take that and triple it, you know, you do have to change some things, but I think the biggest thing that we've had to learn since Bigfoot to get ready for Tahoe has not been about what training do we do. It's actually about what recovery has to happen because yeah. that's, I think, the most significant part at this point because the training's, the training's done. Right. And so how far out? You August was 
Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So how many weeks out are you at this point? It's been about three and a half weeks. And are you still filling? Totally. I mean, I'm, I am, I've never gone into a, re- a race this beat up um, and just unrecovered. So it, I mean, it will be an exercise in, in, you know, in, like the way I see it is when I'm one mile into Tahoe, I'm actually 207 miles in because Bigfoot was 206. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be very interesting. I'm, I'm definitely not physically recovered. Mentally, I'm roaring to go, excited to get out there, but, uh, um, recovery has been interesting. You know, about four days out from the race, you start to walk normal and feel somewhat normal, but the moment you start exerting, um, your muscles remind you very quickly of what you recently did. And, um, that's still very much there. So now how many people that you're aware of, how many other athletes have attempted to do the triple crown of 200. So this is the only, only the third year where there has been three of them. Um, and I believe only about 15 did it the first year and 25 last year. So, you know, about 40 people or so. And then there's 30 people signed up this year. 40 people? Total okay. until this year. And now there's 30 people signed up this year. Okay. God, that's crazy. So that you would be one of the, I mean, if you finished one of the top first 50 to potentially potentially yeah that's right crazy. in that ballpark yeah wow. that's nutty and so how does in working with kevin how do you what do you see your role as as a coach you know he oh. said he doesn't like doing the the short intense workouts so is it different than because you also coach a youth track team and yeah. cross country correct yeah 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 cross so, track yeah 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 so how's that different i mean it's like totally opposite sides of the spectrum so where's your role with Kevin? I mean, I think uh, it is, but it isn't. I think when it comes down to it, coaching is about working with, with people and reminded of like, you know, that's seen in office space where it's like, I have people skills, you know, like, and I, and I say that a little tongue in cheek, but a lot of working with an athlete like Kevin or working with one of my youth kids, it's about knowing what matters to them, what's a priority to them, and then making sure that the things that are priorities stay those priorities. And then the things that they might not like, I've always kind of used the analogy that like it's spinach on the side of the plate. Right. More so for the kids than the adults, but getting him to eat greens is pretty impossible. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the reality is it's you don't like to eat it. You don't want to eat it, but it's good for you. And it, it needs to get eaten one way or another. Whether you look at that as like, kids that love track don't want to do cross or like speed work and some of the harder stuff. Like I think you grew to love it. I think you grew to enjoy some small, some small parts of it. He's hot. He's nodding his head. No. Yeah. When it's over. (laughs) Sure. It feels good when it's over. But I think at the same time, like the fitness that we've been able to create with that, like having done other distances and be able to see that improvement, I think is, is probably a little bit rewarding. At least I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you, you put in the work, and I, and you saw we saw the results in, in all the other races getting faster, even if it wasn't a per se a faster time, but the energy or the, how you felt during it, I think, was always uh, an improvement. So I think coaching someone like Kevin, I mean, every athlete I approach is a different case, is a different person, and you can't really lump people together. So it's it's all different. So. Speaking of measuring improvement, and it, that's one thing I was curious about is like, what are the things? Like, there's so many variables, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you know you're on track as you're training and 
talking about one race where there's X amount of gain over X amount of miles and then going to a completely different race where it's like not nearly as much gain. So how are you tracking improvement? Is it, is it based on RPE and, and just that perceived effort of it's feeling air quotes easier? I don't think we didn't repeat any races this year, right? Uh, we repeated almost all my races. This no, year. we didn't do. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying, you didn't do Never Summer. I didn't do Never Summer. And that was, I think, one of the that that actually really scared you last year. It did scare me. It was very close to Bigfoot. Yeah. But I did the kind of a three weekend punch. Was the same this year. You still, you dirty, still do that. Yeah, dirty thirty you twelve miler Leadville Marathon. Right. Ran a sub twenty minute five k. That was a, a confidence booster. Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. I mean, yeah. for a guy that's gonna do at altitude. Three two hundred milers to go break twenty to five k. So someone do the extrapolation on the, <laughs> on the deadliest of you know being at both ends, right? Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like I think, how do we gauge improvement? I think when I mean yes, we used other races of course, but I think during training itself, like we're on the same training grounds. Like we can go do Bear Peak, and you can go PR Bear Peak, mm-hmm. or we we used a lot of the things that we knew going in. As compared to last year. Settle down there. Sorry. Monsters. <laughs> we good? Yeah. Um, so so speaking of things that matter to Kevin, I've heard that you eat like a human garbage can. Oh, God. And that, <laughs> that, that you're one of the pickiest eaters ever, but not because you're worried what you're putting into your body. But things Exact you, opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Speak to that a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, I have a terrible diet. It's one of my... Um, I guess Achilles heels. I, I, I would like to eat healthier and the concept of it sounds great to me, but I just really enjoy junk food. I like pizza, french fries, <laughs> candy, ice cream. Um, and I eat a lot. Um, I think if I ever get it on, uh, you know, that under control, it would be a huge piece of my puzzle, but you know, you gotta weigh what makes you happy. And for now it's working. <laughs> As I said, priorities. Yeah. yeah. So do you, I think you mentioned a little earlier that you, you're not really sure w- what it is or why you're so mentally tough or what it is that draws you to these longer events, but, but I'm still going to ask, like, <laughs> what is it that, like, do, what is your, what what's is your why? why? Yeah. Like what, sure. why do you keep doing it? Yeah, like, no, that's a good question. And, and, you know, some people have these really cool things they've been through or, you know, experiences that brought him, brought them to these sort of events. And I, I don't have that, but I just think it's really wild to see what the human body can do and, and where it can take you. Um, I, I like being outside in nature, and this is a way to see a lot in a very short period of time. Um, kind of stretch your PTO. And uh, uh, it's, uh, I just think it's wild where your own two feet can take you if you want them to, because hey, I'm just a normal dude. Like, I'm not, you know, a super elite athlete, and I can go out and run 200 miles pretty much nonstop. And, I mean, how wild is that? I yeah, think that's it's really pretty cool. crazy. And, uh, Most people won't walk I, 200 miles over I think the, that I think that's you know. so cool. Like, I... I think that's what actually I really love. One of the reasons I really love working with you is that you're not an elite and he doesn't have like this thing in his head where he's like, I've got to achieve at this level or I have to like, you have your own set of standards, which I think is partially why you can do these things. But he's, he's just, you know, he's, he's a pretty normal person. Like, you know, you talk to him and like, he's exactly average. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Like, everything's <laughs> average is bad. But it, it, in all honesty, like, you're going out and doing something that is so far from the mean of what people would say is normal. Like, you know, everybody says, oh, well, you know, 1% of the population in their lifetime will do a marathon. Like, 
how many places from the decimal point is this guy from norm now right. doing not one but now his second and moving towards four by the end of october yeah which is insane mm -hmm. so if somebody were interested let's say somebody who's running right now and they're interested in starting to experiment a little bit with the longer distances what would be your advice to them like what were some of the first mistakes you made when you started yeah totally um moving up through the distance ladder too quickly. Um, you know, I think running ultras is, is awesome, but, uh, you know, I bit off more than I could chew right away. You know, I went from 50 to a hundred pretty much. Um, and that was a lot really soon without proper training. Um, and I, I didn't, you know, have like a catastrophic injury or anything, but, um, it wasn't comfortable and it, you know, in, in hindsight, it wasn't the best way to do it. So I just recommend, you know, starting slowly with some 50 Ks and then building kind of, you know, smart up, up the ladder, 50, 100, however far you want to go. Um, and uh, obviously, if you can afford it, hiring a coach is a huge, um, a huge benefit. Right. And then you, what would be your advice be to somebody that's looking to start to step up? Maybe somebody that's done a few 10Ks or a half marathon and they're ready to... Yeah, I would definitely tackle first, like just get the marathon out of the way and see how that feels, but maybe don't look at it and say, I'm gonna go find the flattest, fastest road marathon. Like go find, work your way up in terms of like skill required. And even if that means that, I mean, there are some flat 50 Ks that, you know, are easier than some really hilly and hard marathons, you know? So it's kind of like you, you can kind of blend those things together and even finding races that might be in between. I, I always encourage athletes that are really new that if they can find um, like a loop course, like a multiple loop course for maybe that first 50 mile or even 100K because they're going to get more chances, like they're going to feel safer. I mean, with 20 miles like he's doing in between aid stations, like that's, some, that's someone's whole race. You know what I mean? Between aid stations for a 200 miler. So you kind of have to... There was a helicopter rescue this year at Bigfoot. There was. Yeah. That was crazy. Um but you think about it and you're, what you're really expanding is your spatial understanding of time and distance. Like when you have someone that's new to the sport, being able to come around every 10K and like see your people or things like that, you're like, okay, I can, oh, I can, I, I can feel okay. They don't have to carry as much. They're not comfortable with that yet. And then they right. start kind of extending that and extending themselves and they'll go to that two loop 100K course or, you know, things like that. And that's where I really like to encourage people to kind of, grow that comfort zone because that's really the one you're trying to grow is like how far can you go and feel safe feel confident that you're going to get to that finish line yeah another great thing is to volunteer at a race before you run it absolutely and just watch people crawl across mm -hmm. the finish line at <laughs> it's motivating <laughs> if too. you still want to do it after that then then go for it <laughs> no I, I think it's very inspirational to watch that and to see people right at the edge and, and yeah. like you said like finding their limits i think that's what so much of this is about yeah. is yeah you know, finding your limits and then pushing beyond them. Um, so you, so we talked a little bit about Tahoe, that's next week, mm -hmm. but then your next race is going to be in Utah. Mm -hmm. And if I read correctly, <laughs> it's 240 miles. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the Moab 240. So it basically does a giant loop uh, from Moab and out and back to it eventually. That it's, that's like 40 miles. 40 miles is a lot yeah. to run 
Period. Oh, yeah, you get to 200 and you have another ultra to do. What really messes with my mind is, you know, when you, I get to mile 170 of, of these other 200s, I'm, I'm closing in on the finish line. You know, I can see it. I can smell it. But at Moab, I'm at mile 170 and I have 70 miles to go. That's crazy. So it's really, uh, that I'm glad it's the last one because I also don't have much experience uh, playing out in the desert. So it definitely scares me the most. But Really? Yeah. So what is it about the desert that... Um, it's less, there's less mountains. It's more runnable, which actually scares me for some people. That's a benefit, but I like climbing. Um, I like the variety. Uh, I'm good at climbing. I'm not great at running, you know, kind of like flat runnable terrain and the weather. Um, I was actually had the, the privilege to be out at Moab volunteering last year and they had a sev- 60 degree temperature swing. It went from 70 during the day to nine at night. Wow. Yeah. Flu- Try to dress for that. Yeah. Wow. So that, and that's news to me. And I, I agreed last week <laughs> that, that I would Surprise. paste you, that I would pace you through a couple of those stretches. Yeah, it's going to so, be great. Wow. That's a, uh, and so for me, um, I can learn this as we're recording here is what is it that like, what is a good pacer doing, um, for somebody who's been out there for 40 hours? What are, what do you need them to do? And what is it that um, the benefit of having that pacer out there. Andrew might have some some good advice on this too. He's probably paced more than I have, but um, I mean, for me, I, I part of my why too is I I really enjoy spending time out there with people I love. Oh, jeez. But but here. they weren't available, yeah, so I, 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 I couldn't find anyone. So you know. <laughs> so you got your wife and your coach. <laughs> Great. But um, it's just fun. I, I I want them to you know sing stupid songs with me and, and, you know, chat about things and just, you know, keep me company, keep me awake, keep me alert. Um, last year they kept me eating, which, you know, you get so sick of food in these long events that having it forced down your throat literally is a, is a benefit. Yeah. Um, so that's what they, they did for me. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, pacers are huge and especially having done it without them now they're, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how much help they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, granted, we just, one of the things we just wrote a really fun article about this um, for our blog, and I think one of the things that I constantly come back to, having actually just paced your wife Melanie at Leadville uh, 100, was it's an entirely selfless endeavor as a crew member. Like, you might be tired. It might be three in the morning, and you just drove however many miles to get to that place to get to them, but you can't complain. There's no room for you as the, the it's crew not member. True. You can. You'll yeah. you'll yeah. see. Well, he'll do plenty of it. <laughs> yeah. Like trust trust me, he's got some talent in that in that field. But I think the reality is is like, you are it's it you're you're in this selfless moment and you're just like, what do you need? Like you are just there to help them out. But then also at the same time, part of that is being entertaining and having fun. Like I think one of the things I love to bring to that table is singing. Like it's just I'm an yeah. awful singer. But it's fun. Like you, there's you're literally in the middle of the woods. Like, I mean, especially at Bigfoot. I mean, there's no one else for miles. Like, there's no cell service. I didn't see a cell phone signal for almost five days while we were out there. So there's no help if I want it. Right. So you just have fun with it, and like you, you might see another athlete, and that's like a huge bump in morale. Like, there's another person you're talking to them for a little bit, get to know their story for a little while, and then. You might exchange, but I think being on a crew, I think one of the other things that I think is super important is, like I said, thinking about what they need and almost thinking ahead of that. And like, I always have my watch running 
not even as much to track the mileage, but to track the time just to make sure that we're both eating because these legs are long. I think, um, you know, his wife is crewing uh, a 50K leg? Yeah, 32-mile stretch. A 32-mile stretch in between aid stations. It's, it's actually splits up into two, but one of them so remote that it's, you know, it, it's it's two legs, but it's one really long leg she's, she's going to crew this weekend. And so it's, um, you know, it's figuring out what does he need. I mean, we'll have some cell service so I can maybe go grab stuff if you wanted something really special, but yeah. that was not an option at Bigfoot. But it, it wasn't, and, you know, looking forward to that at Tahoe, but it is a super, you know, selfless endeavor. That's a good way to describe it. You know, if my headlamp dies, I'm not the one running in the dark. They're the one running in the dark because they'll give me their headlamp. You right. know, it's it's just, it, that's yeah. what if you're it cold, is. cold, here's my down jacket. Right, and then, you know, we get to the finish line, and I'm the one who gets the buckle. I'm the one who gets the finisher bug. They don't get anything. It's a, it's a very... Um, it's a very selfless act, and it's you know it's a really cool thing to do for someone. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, best of luck to you. Um, if people want to track you this next week, next weekend, yeah. um, is there a place people can track you? And yeah, the homepage of uh, Tahoe200.com will have uh, live tracking. You'll be able to follow a bunch of dots through the wilderness. Um, my bib number is 300, okay. and you'll be able to see me yeah, out there moving very slowly. <laughs> awesome. And where can people follow you on social media? Um, I'm at Melvin on the move on Instagram. Melvin, like Melanie and Kevin, M-E-L-V-I-N, on the move. Okay. And you, Andrew? Yeah, uh, on the socials. Uh, Instagram, I'll actually d- be doing a little bit of following along, taking some photos and kind of keeping some social updates for him uh, going there. And that's at coach underscore Simmons underscore runs uh, on Instagram. Uh, otherwise, you can find me at lifelongendurance.com. Cool. I'll be sure to put, them, put those in the show notes. Thanks awesome. a lot, you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Thanks, Dave. Thanks.